this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Got something that might interest you. <laughs> well, welcome back to the Resident Evil Lorecast. I am Aaron. And joining me are my co-hosts, Ariel. Hey. And Daniel. Hey there. And I believe we were going to continue our discussion on viruses, correct? Yes. Before we do that, though, we have one important question that we need to answer. What is your favorite gun from the Resident Evil series? Ariel? That would have to be the Chicago typewriter. Ooh, that's a good choice. Infinite MO? Yeah. Daniel? Uh, I'm going to go with the Dragonov SVD from Resident Evil 5. Why? Because it's a good ranged weapon when you're fighting all the liquors on that one level. Oh, true. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the Samurai's Edge. I know it's a cop-out, but it is it is by far my favorite. It has been in almost every single Resident Evil game. <laughs> it's awesome. Duh. <laughs> anyway, we were discussing our viruses. And I believe Ariel has brought us some more. Yes. Actually, I'm going to start off with a parasite. Now, if I my recollection recalls, these are all from the wiki, correct? Yes. Resident Evil wiki? Okay. Plagas are a genus of parasitic arthropod belonging to an unknown taxonomical order. They are endemic to a remote mountainous region of Spain from whence they get their name. From the Spanish word Las Plagas, meaning the plagues. Ooh. Yeah. Assuming Plagas are otherwise typical parasitic arthropods, they are believed to asexually reproduce, with their eggs being expelled from the host and consumed by other animals as part of their life cycle. Gross. <laughs> Plagas typically reach maturity within days of hatching and following the larval stage, grow through three stages dubbed A, B, and C. Plagas are able to influence their host's actions by latching onto the nervous system, increasing aggression in human hosts, dubbed Ganados. Ganados? I tried. <laughs> As well, forming a social cluster with other hosts. 
Unless the host's brain are were destroyed, this influence is not total, allowing hosts to continue with their daily routines. All Plagas living in the 21st century are descended from either of two genetically modified species engineered by the paramilitary organization Los Illuminados, Ooh. which we'll definitely dive into when we get to four. Yes. As part of its bioweapons project. Though often connected with Spain, the Plagas may have first arose in West Africa based on the presence of desiccated remains within the Depaya Kingdom. Oh. These ruins are very ancient, dating back to perhaps the Neolithic Age. The Plaga population in Spain could be as old as the Bronze Age, and Ganados were known to perform human sacrificial rituals as detailed in this art cave art which we'll post on the Twitter for everyone to see. Yeah, because it's, it's actually pretty cool. Mm. Salazar, a nobleman of indeterminate rank, led a brutal crusade in the region against the Ganados for their pagan beliefs, and surviving Plagas were sealed within caves beneath a mound, separated from the nearby village by a deep valley trench and a large body of water. A fortress was built above it, of which Salazar and his descendants took on the role of Castellan, intent on preventing the Plaga's escape. So wait, they were trying to prevent it? Kind of sounds like it. Huh. Around the millennium, Osman Sadler, a man with unspecified links to bioweapons research, became aware of the organism and began plans to use the Plagas to gain money and influence on the international stage through the parasitization of others. Taking on the role of a prophet, leading the cult Los Illuminados, Spanish for the enlightened, Prophet Sadler gained the loyalty of Raymond Salazar, 8th Castellan, who agreed to release the Plagas to atone for his family's sins. The two and the village workers hired to conduct the excavation found the Plagas long since mummified in the low oxygen environment. Hope was restored several years later when the spread of a strange disease amongst the workers revealed the Plagas had survived in the form of spores and were in the process of growth within their new hosts. Huh. Yeah. Having established a large research complex and military base around ancient ruins on a nearby island, Los Illuminados began work on studying the Plagas and over time genetically engineered as many as three new species, which were significantly more difficult to remove from the host. These species were the recessive Plagas, which took control of the host. The dominant Plagas, which left the host alone, allowed them to issue commands to the Ganados and imbued them with the ability to mutate at will. The third was the clean, Queen Plaga, an organism living in the castle which asexually produced more eggs. As this offered great risk to Sadler's ability to control his organization, the dominant hosts were limited to himself, Salazar, and... Betoris Mendez, the village priest who helped him convert the local population who would serve as an army to keep out spies. Huh. That is interesting, to say the least. <laughs> so, 
we'll have to dive more into that when we get to Resident Evil 4. Yep. All right. In continued human testing, Plaga research was found to mutate humans under certain circumstances, whether making them stronger, making them grow to giant proportions, or making them able to regrow entire body parts within seconds. Human-animal hybrids were created with the Plagas as well, leading to the Novistador, the Verdugo, and U3. Huh. Plaga is capable of altering its host's behavior by attaching itself to a human's central nervous system between the lungs and heart. Plaga infection can be very painful to the human host and causes internal hemorrhage, coughing up blood, swelling of blood vessels around the eyes, fainting, convulsions, and hallucinations. For these reasons, juvenile hosts of the parasites inevitably die soon after the eggs hatch. The plaga begins altering the host biochemistry from birth, with the changing of the eyes to red being a common sign. The plagas also cause mutation in their hosts while increasing their physical strength and durability. For example, Ganados can remain standing after sustaining several gunshot wounds, and some can wield heavy tools without difficulty. If the host is severely injured, Adult plagas may tear through the neck and use their own bodies in self-defense. Huh. Well, we saw plenty of those in four. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Plagas are social creatures and hosts thereby also form a pack mentality. Though hosts may communicate via speech, Sarah's studies indicated that the plagas themselves communicate via ultra-high-frequency sound waves. A special organ exists to pick up these vibrations, which can be interpreted as commands. Huh. So they can basically command an army of themselves. Yeah, you see why this one was my favorite? (laughs) This system allows for the dominant Plaga hosts to issue commands to Ganados. It has been observed that not all Plagas will act well to each other. Even after gaining control of the mountains, Los Illuminados saw fit to execute locals using an abattoir near the village and the castle dungeons for executions. Ganado mutants, such as the Gigantes, also acted violently towards other hosts. Despite being host to a Plaga parasite, Leon was also attacked during his mission and received a warning by Mendez of suffering consequences for going against them regardless of being a host. Hmm. Now that makes sense. Yes. (laughs) Let's go on to weaknesses and countermeasures, shall we? Yes. Los Illuminados recorded a number of manners in which the Plagas could be killed, including means which could not kill the host. Their research was for the ultimate goal of genetically engineering a species which lacked these defects. Defects. Though their finalized recessive plaga still had a number of weaknesses. Plagas are extremely sensitive to UV radiation and thus avoid daylight. A radiation therapy procedure was developed by Sarah's team which could douse the patient in enough UV radiation to kill a plaga without invasive surgery. This procedure was used to treat uh, them in four. Leon and Ashley. Mm-hmm. 
In both cases, the Plaga killed was a hatchling, and it is believed the chances of survival are significantly lower for hosts of adult Plagas. Relating to the UV treatment, flashbangs were found to be effective as a means of killing Plagas that had emerged from their hosts at night. The growth of hatchlings can be halted through certain forms of medication as discovered by Sarah's team, and this medicine can also kill unhatched Plagas. It is possible that recessive Plagas can be killed through the destruction of the host's nervous system in a way that will keep the host alive, but in a paraplegic state. This was performed on Alexander Kazenchko. I tried. To prevent a Plaga taking over his body. However, this was a dominant Plaga genetically engineered years later by another group. Hmm. All right. And the final part, let's go over type A, B, and C of it. Okay. Plaga A, which are identified by their pulsating masses of flesh and waving tentacles, but the longest tentacle having a scythe-like blade. This blade can be used as a weapon to slash enemies if threatened. Plaga A's have also been seen within the bodies of dogs, known as colmios. Plaga B, which appears to be more hand-like in appearance. The tentacles of the A have become stronger and can serve to grab hold of nearby enemies. Midway down the body is a large mouth which can bite into prey the size of a human head. And Plaga C, which appear more spider-like in appearance. The arms having thinned out and become long legs. Sea plagas can, if needed, force themselves entirely out of a host body to escape. Ooh, we've seen all three of those in the game. Yup. Well. <laughs> and that's that on the plagas. All right, Daniel, what do you have for us? I have Ouroboros. Oh. Let's see here. Ouroboros is an RNA virus in the progenitor family, which we discussed last episode. Yes, we did. was engineered in the 21st century by Dr. Albert Wesker as the ultimate eugenics tool. A less potent strain was later developed by Dr. Alex Wesker to serve as a bioweapon. There is currently no known vaccine for either strain of Ouroboros. The virus's name is derived from Ouroboros in Greek mythology, a snake-like creature which consumed itself hmm so let's go to the history of it so work began on the Ouroboros project sometime in 2006 following an encounter Dr. Albert Wesker had with Dr. Oswald E. Spencer who revealed to him Umbrella Pharmaceuticals secret eugenics goal in creating a race of Ubermensch which is the superhumans Mm -hmm. to advance human society with Wesker himself being part of such a project. Having begun to question the emerging war on terror, he concluded that humanity itself was the problem and the only way to bring about a utopian society of the Ubermensch was to use the progenitor virus against the very planet itself, which would kill all but those with certain genetic characteristics such... period. Such people would theoretically be enhanced physically and mentally. So there was a setback that took place after Tricell, which will be covered later. Mm -hmm. Wesker's partner set up a lab in the old Depaya Kingdom, 
That's in Africa where the progenitor virus was first discovered. Yep. And it was that the human population ratio able to survive and mutate from progenitor infection was simply too small. Using T-virus antibodies extracted from a mutant test subject who was Jill Valentine. Whoa. Who will be covered later. Wesker repeatedly used them on his Ouroboros cultures to naturally select a new strain distinct and less potent than progenitor. So he's trying to make it less potent, but also more potent. Yeah. So I don't think he was... It was... I think he's crazy too. Yeah. He must have had some Las Plagas. (laughs) Hallucinations. With a virus now useful in research, the project moved to its next stage and saw thousands of other test subjects infected over the next two years. With increasing assistance from Tricell's own research staff, such as Miguel. The virus was more or less finalized by May 2008 when samples were loaded onto missiles in preparation for the final stage in the Ouroboros project that would disperse the virus across the Earth's atmosphere to infect every corner of the planet. Wow. Where's our friends when we need them? Mm -hmm. There were problems with the preparations, however, and a fire occurred, resulting in the creation of a mutant anthropod species dubbed Reaper. Okay. In March 2009, the project was finally underway, but was stopped by the Bioterrorism Security Assessment Alliance, or BSAA for short, which will be covered later. At least four humans were infected with Ouroboros during the operation, including Wesker himself. He mutated appropriately, while the other three were not genetically compatible. So the Ouroboros is a real picky virus. It it picks (laughs) and chooses who's compatible. So in their case, their bodies were torn apart by uncontrollable mutation and in one case consumed a number of other bodies. Oh, wow. Yeah. The Ouroboros virus was used in the research on the T-Phobos virus, which will be covered later in this episode. Mm-hmm. And so the effects of the Ouroboros. In its original form, Ouroboros was too deadly for any host to support life. Only with the introduction of Jill Valentine's T-virus antibodies could Ouroboros rapidly amplify, or sorry, Ouroboros's rapid amplification be controlled so that it left a select percentage of the human population alive. So yeah, if he wouldn't have used her antibodies, he would have just killed everybody probably on Earth. Of or, course. Or close to it. Yeah. Once Ouroboros comes into contact with an organism's cells and infects them, it inserts its genes into the host genome in an attempt to merge with the host. For those whose genetic sequence is compatible with Ouroboros, the merge is successful, bestowing superhuman abilities upon the host. Those whose genomes are incompatible fall to the virus's uncontrolled amplification and their cells are overtaken by Ouroboros, resulting infected tissues organized into undifferentiated tentacles, absorbs the body of the host and any other organic matter it can reach. These tentacles are held together by orange pustule-like organs which serve as the control center of the organic growth. Destruction of these cores negates the body's cohesion and thus life. Which happens, so that's how you kill the virus basically. Mm -hmm. Same happens when the virus is injected into any corpse. So just being injected to a corpse it could theoretically uh, still live. Huh. 
When a human host successfully adapts to the virus, they retain their normal human form but become superhuman with increased strength, speed, durability, vitality, and a strong regeneration ability. The only physical sign of mutation in an adapted host is the appearance of glowing, slitted eyes, similar to that of a host successfully adapted to the Regenerator virus or the prototype T-virus variant Albert Wesker adapted to, so they would have, like, reptilian eyes. However, due to its purpose of forced evolution, it was designed to accept a small percentage of the human population possessing excellent genes. If Ouroboros had been spread across the globe, it would have killed those with unsuitable DNA and selected for genomes containing genes favorable to evolution. Ouroboros mutants remain sensitive to intense heat, as shown in encounters with Ouroboros in some of the games. And as stated earlier, there's no current vaccine for Ouroboros, so basically it sounds like intense heat or fire is the only way to kill it. And once it infects the host, it sounds like you're That's a goner. That's it, yeah. goner. And that is what looks like what I have on Ouroboros currently. All right. That sounds like it's a perfect time for a break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we are at the middle of the show. And what news have you brought us today about Resident Evil, Ariel? Ooh, I brought news on the new movie coming out. Ooh, that's exciting. Yes, Resident Evil, welcome to Raccoon City. The release date is November 24th, 2021. So we'll get to see it this year. Yeah. Pretty excited about it. I'm pretty stoked. We're we're ready for this. <laughs> We've been ready for this forever. Yes. The movie itself is set in 1998. And it is an origin story explaining the secrets of the Spencer Mansion and Raccoon City. Ooh. And it's got a pretty good, well, I think it's a pretty good cast of characters. Okay. Or Maybe actors. So they have Kaya Scodelario. I'm terrible at pronouncing names. Playing Claire. Okay. They have Robbie Amell playing Chris Redfield. Ooh. Hannah John Kamen playing Jill Valentine. Okay. Seems like they put a lot of thought into this cast. Yeah. It's, I'm excited. And Neil McDonough playing William Birkin. Okay. Tom Hopper playing Albert Wesker. Okay. Avon <laughs> Jogia playing Leon. Okay. So, yep. Donald Logue playing Chief Brian Irons. Lily Gayo playing Ada Wong. 
Nathan Dale's playing Brad Vickers. Okay. Chad Rook playing Richard Aiken. Okay. Marina Mazeppa playing Lisa Trevor. Okay. Jeanette Porter playing Annette Birkin. And Holly DeBarros playing Sherry Birkin. Okay. So there's a lot yeah. of characters in this. Yeah, and they've got a pretty good cast lineup too, is what it sounds yes, like. Yes, I'm really excited to watch this. Oh, oh my gosh. All right, Daniel, what'd you bring us? So on mine, I was doing some searching, and apparently on Etsy, you can do a search for the store Zients Tech. It's X-I-E-N-C-E, then Tech, T-E-C-H, for a Resident Evil Las Plagas Parasite. Oh! <laughs> for $30, I believe, before shipping. Um, so it, they have that on Etsy. Uh, okay. I want that. <laughs> I want it. That's actually pretty cool. That, it's yeah, got it in the bottle and it's labeled. And I'm yeah. gonna buy it, and it's gonna go with. Ooh, with we'll the, have to put these pictures up. That's pretty yes, sweet. Those are more pictures we'll have to add to the Twitter page. Uh, and it's definitely going in my collection of Resident Evil memorabilia. <laughs> so if you do want to find it on Etsy. Just search for that Zion's Tech or Resident Evil Las Plagas Parasite, and that should get you to that. All right. Yep, that's going to be bought. Well, along with that, I was uh, introduced something via one of our fans, Soviet Panther, on the Discord. Um, there is actually a website where you can purchase nearly any, any Resident Evil gun airsoft version. It is evike.com and that's spelled e-v-i-k-e dot com and I'm I'm not even kidding you I spent a couple hours going through this list you can even buy attachments from the games for these guns it's pretty incredible do they have the Chicago typewriter I believe they did yes did um, or do I believe they did I looked through it um, but the most expensive gun that I was shown was nearly $4,000 and it was the minigun from Resident Evil I believe 5? Probably if it's for Chris. Yep, yep. It was, yeah. It was definitely a Chris's minigun and that thing is beastly. Ooh, it better be for $4,000. <laughs> yeah. They should have the airsoft bow and arrow from 5 as well. An airsoft bow and arrow? Yeah. If you're going to be like Sheva. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get back to our viruses. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I love the fact that we have an Ouroboros sound effect for our breaks. <laughs> Is that what that was? Yes. <laughs> uh, actually, it's more of a uh, Las Plagas. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, speaking of viruses... What is our next virus, Ariel? 
T. Veronica virus. Now, this one I'm pretty excited for because I don't know a whole lot about the T. Veronica. Well, you're about to find out. The T. Veronica virus is a strain of progenitor virus created by Dr. Alexia Ashford, which, under the correct conditions, allows the host to retain full intellectual capabilities. Oh. Yeah. It is named after Veronica Ashford, the Ashford family's matriarch. The basis of T. Veronica research came with the discovery of a retrovirus existing within the genome of some ant queens. Alexia mistook the eusocial nature of an ant colony for one with complete adoration for their queen and likened it to her own megalomaniac lifestyle personality. She then began considering the possibility of merging the genome of this virus with that of the progenitor virus. Plant genes were also added into the virus's makeup. Hmm. The first step in human testing came in 1982 when Alexia and Alfred infected their father, Alexander Ashford, with the virus. Due to not having a preparation beforehand, he failed as an adequate experiment. He was imprisoned within the Antarctic base, terrifying the facility's workers with his inhuman growls, earning him the name Nosferatu. Soon after her father's degenerative mutation, she christened the virus T. Veronica in name of her cell donor. It was soon after this that Alexia decided to experiment on herself. In order to prevent the degeneration Alexander faced, Alexia concluded that going into a cryogenic coma for 15 years should allow her to adapt to the virus. That sounds great. Right? So, let's get into virus traits. The T. Veronica virus was not distributed on a wide scale like other viruses and parasites in the series, but it appears to operate similarly to its predecessors, the progenitor virus and the T. virus. Notable differences include a tendency for infected individuals to manifest arthropod traits in their mutations, such as hard carapaces, or insectoid limbs. The blood of a T. Veronica host often changes into a chemical that spontaneously combusts on contact with oxygen, allowing the host to weaponize their own blood as a projectile. Whoa. Yeah, that's terrifying. Like the T. virus, the T. Veronica virus has a tendency to cause severe mental degradation in its hosts. Unlike the T-virus, successful fusion with the T-Veronica virus does not require the presence of certain genes or hormones in its host. Instead, the stabilizing factor appears to be the rate at which the virus is allowed to spread within the body. In order to perfectly coexist with the T-Veronica virus, the host must live with it for a number of years, allowing the virus to adapt to their body. Alexia Ashford achieved this by entering a state of cryogenic stasis, causing the virus's infection rate to slow to a crawl, while Javier Hidalgo planned to regularly replace Manuela's infected organs with fresh transplants, thereby retarding the virus's spread by forcing it to constantly reinfect her organs. As with many variants of the progenitor virus, the mutations induced by the T. Veronica virus are largely dependent on the mindset of its host. Hmm. Notably, the two people infected by T. Veronica, 
have been able to counter their mutations and regain control of their bodies through willpower alone. A more subtle example was Manuela's mother, Hilda, who regained some part of her, her humanity at the sight of Manuela and was kept at peace when she sang a lullaby that Hilda sang to her as a child. Unfortunately, when Manuela was too weak to sing the song, the monstrous personality regained control. Javier, like Alexia, was also able to control himself when mutated by the virus. However, due to him not having a preparation as Alexia did, he almost lost his consciousness. By the time Javier regained control over himself, he was only able to beg Leon and Krauser to kill him. According to the V-Complex's archive entry in the Dark Side Chronicles, huh. the virus's activeness was also dependent on the outside temperature. The frigid temperatures of the Antarctic meant that the virus could not travel as easily and the virus could not infect its surroundings as easily. The tropical and humid climate of South America, however, caused the virus to reach ginormous proportions, potentially threatening entire ecosystems. So that's why they had it experimented in the Antarctic instead of where the original progenitor virus was. Yep. Wow. Right, Daniel, I believe you have our next virus. Yes, that would be the T. Phobos virus. All right. The T. Phobos virus is a retrovirus descended from the progenitor virus. It was developed with the purpose of creating a superhuman with no negative side effects. Okay. Research was inspired by Umbrella's Immortality Project, which sought to engineer a virus that would keep even the most frail alive indefinitely. Kind of think that Spencer wanted to not die. Yeah. Under the control of Dr. Alex Wesker, this project was abandoned in favor of one that would create another superhuman and use advanced computer technology to incorporate a digitized copy of Wesker's consciousness into the subject's brain, thereby achieving immortality in another way. That son of a bitch. <laughs> well, if I can't do it with viruses, I'll do it with computers. Yeah. Or both. The background on the uh, T-Phobus. The T-Phobus project ultimately had its origins in the Wesker project of the 1960s. This project was to create a group of superhumans through infection of a progenitor strain, which we keep coming back to. Yep. The project required strict conditions placed on the candidates, and by 1998, all but 13 were washed out. Of the 13 infected with the virus, only Dr. Albert and Alex Wesker survived. And in the following decade, Dr. Alex Wesker was entrusted with a new project by Umbrella CEO, Dr. Oswell E. Spencer, who was suffering from organ failure and close to death. He would provide Wesker with massive resources for the development of a virus that would allow him to cheat death and grant him immortality. Alex Wesker failed to produce the virus of the desired qualities as Oswell Spencer was too frail. Disillusioned and becoming aware of an illness she herself was suffering, Alex Wesker abandoned the project on Sonido de Tortuga and traveled on to a laboratory complex on Sige. It's S-E-J-M. Whoever wants to try and pronounce that. <laughs> Where she restarted work in a new fashion intent on realizing his dream for herself. In early development, 
there was a large body of test candidates for the development of the T-phobus, which was still considerably delayed. Like the natural progenitor virus, the prototype had a high mortality rate due to the sheer violence of the mutations it caused, which had to be limited or slowed down to have any chance of creating viable superhumans. A solution to creating superhumans was found in the stress hormone norepinephrine. <laughs> yeah. All these big words. No, it's probably norepinephrine. Pinfrain, I don't know. I can spell it later if you are in the Resident Evil Discord. <laughs> <laughs> and it was agreed the virus would remain dormant in a subject until exposed to certain qualities of this hormone. The downside to this, however, was the host had to be free from fear, which excessive production of such hormones, increasing the chance of inducing unpredictable, severe mutations that were undesirable for the project. The mutants, dubbed afflicted, considered solely of men, with female test subjects dying under excruciating pain from violent mutations too fast and excessive for their bodies to handle. Alright. In 2011, or by the end of 2010, the Phobos project was complete, but had reached an impasse as there appeared to be no uninfected surviving humans to use as experiments. This was on that island, of course. Yeah. The project team was nonetheless able to get in contact with Neil Fisher, the head of TerraSave, a follower of former FBC chairman Morgan Lansdale. Fisher believed that sacrifices were necessary in the war on terror and so was willing to hand over himself and 12 others as test subjects in exchange for a sample of Ouroboros virus for vaccine research. See, that got nowhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the 12 were subjected to a series of torturous experiments to test their emotional responses, with Fisher and Wesker's aide, Stewart, observing Natalia Corda as the most viable candidate due to her lack of fear. Despite showing stress, Corda's lack of fear meant she could successfully mutate without dying from the virus's effects. By the end of the night, Corda was abducted and taken to the monument where she was implanted with a digitized copy of Wesker's memories and her body carefully lowered into a bunker to be protected for the next six months while the conflicting consciousness were to blend. The entire research team subsequently committed suicide to atone for their inhuman acts on the settlers, which they all viewed as a mortal but necessary sin on behalf of Wesker. Over the next six months, Corda's body mutated from her exposure to the virus, giving her enhanced abilities such as being able to detect the location of living beings outside of her view. Following the BSAA's operation on Shem, or Shem, Corda is the only remaining T-Phobus mutant alive and the only known superhuman alive as of 2013. Oh, wow. And the last part, the means of affection. Sorry. The last part, the means of infection. <laughs> we don't show viruses love here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unlike its precursor viruses, which mutate the host almost immediately after infection, the T-Phobos reacts to the host's mind. As long as the host does not experience fear and panic, the virus will not cause any harm, since it only reacts to norepinephrine. Still pronounce it wrong. I can already know this. Should the host mind be affected by intense fear, the virus spreads through the body within seconds. 
And as said earlier, the virus seems to only mutate men, with infected women promptly dying in considerable pain. So no vaccine, it sounds like, either on this one. Holy cow. I just say that word, so I, maybe you, I can pronounce you it. You want to say the word? <laughs> Norepinephrine. Yeah, that one. <laughs> right, yeah, it sounds like there's no vaccine for this. And you said it affects... Only only men, and it basically kills women if because of the mutation. That sucks for me. Yeah, well, yeah. this <laughs> virus needs to go away well, sounds for multiple like, reasons now. <laughs> sounds like the more scared you are. So basically, the hormone that affects sounds like it's a fear hormone, basically. Yeah. Well, I know I'm terrified of more things than anybody, so I would die immediately. <laughs> but anyway... Carrying on to our final virus for Ariel. Of the night. Of yes. the night, yes. The T-Abyss virus. Oh, so this one I was really intrigued by. The T-Abyss virus is a strain of progenitor virus, which was genetically engineered in 2003 as a bioweapon through alteration of Umbrella's perfected T-virus. Though samples made their way to bioweapons developers, it has been prohibited from sale on the black market due to concerns of being too dangerous as a weapon product. So this one's too dangerous, but the other ones are fine. (laughs) Right? (laughs) The virus's origins lie with the discovery of Abyss virus, a retrovirus endemic to the hadoplagic zone of the Kermatic Trench. Those are big words. Yep. <laughs> this retrovirus was found to be present in various fish species, and its genetic material consisted of a double-strand DNA with gen- ugh, genes, words, related to Piscean anatomy that allowed for better swimming performance in high-pressure environments. That seems smart. They're mer- merging it with fish this time for better swimmers. Mm-hmm. This virus was studied by the Montpelier University of Marine Science, who went on to splice this genetic material into that of the T-virus, which had already made its way onto the black market. It was in the belief of project financier Morgan Lansdale, then head of the FBC, that a major bioterror incident publicly aired internationally would expose it as a military threat and increase support for American counter-terror operations. When completed, the new virus was used by Il Vetro, Veltro, Il Veltro, and a bioterror attack on Terra Grigia, the only instance of T-Abyss being used in a major attack. To eliminate them, an outbreak was triggered on their bases. The cruise ships Queen Dido, Dido, Queen Semiramis, and Queen Zenobia, with the former sinking. Oh. So there comes the ships again. Yep. Immediately following the Terra Grigia panic, Queen Semiramis and Queen Zenobia were captured and their laboratories opened up for vaccine research while teams continued to study the mutations inflicted on the Veltro fighters. Work on the vaccine took place competitively, with Queen Zenobia announcing its success in 2005. 
Once the research data was transmitted to FBC leader Morgan Lansdale, the mutant test subjects were automatically released from their cells and spread the virus across the ships once more, killing or otherwise mutating the researchers and crew. Following this incident, a sample of the virus found its way to Tricell, a pharmaceutical corporation with a large bioweapons project. Believing the virus to be too dangerous as a bioweapon, Tricell used its position to prevent the virus making its way onto the black market. So here are the effects. Mutagenic effects. The abyss virus was known to restructure organisms, breaking down fat, strengthening muscles, and the skeleton. When the T. abyss virus was exposed to humans, it proved that the abyss's genome contained DNA commonly found in marine wildlife. A common mutation experienced by humans is the ooze. Ooh. Ugh, that sounds disgusting. Where the person develops a bloated gray body and suckers. Okay, yeah, that is disgusting. <laughs> Losing its body water considerably, the ooze will instinctively hunt down other organisms to replenish themselves. Oh, that's so gross. Uh, ecological effects. Due to its ability to rapidly alter an organism and produce more of the virus, T. abyss poses a significant threat to the world's oceans. Terrorist group Ilvetro was in possession of a number of vials containing the virus in a red protein media, which was calculated to be able to mutate life in one-fifth of the world's oceans. This is explained by the virus infecting plankton, then using their bodies to produce more of the virus, spreading across a wider area in wider numbers, soon reaching larger organisms such as fish, which will mutate and spread the virus further. So, they... Basically, they just took the virus this time and mutated it so that it could affect marine life so it would infect faster and larger areas. Yeah. That's incredibly dangerous. Yeah, I could see why that one was taken well, off the market. Yeah, I mean, if they've taken it off the black market, you know that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounded like Tricell was the good guys in this case. Yeah. Well, for once. For once, yeah. Right, well, another episode where we covered a large chunk of these viruses, and there's still more to go. So the next episode, we're going to cover the last few remaining viruses, correct? Yes. And what are those viruses that we're going to be covering? Those viruses will be in not necessarily this order, but it'll be the C-virus, the Cado parasite, the E-001 mold, the a virus and how do I pronounce that mega is it mega mycet mega mycite mega mycite mold see I'm I'm really excited to get to those molds I'm really excited to get to the molds but we'll have to wait another week Ugh. <laughs> yes but um, so far I think this episode is probably our most dangerous uh, branches of the virus yet I mean we had a, a virus that could sh basically multiply infinitely and branch itself out through marine life we had one that could basically make copies of people with computer programs and I mean it, the, the virus in this episode were in my opinion by far the most dangerous we've covered um, agreed yeah but let us know what you think in the discord um, 
But at any rate, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it and tune into us next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a comment and a review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at RELurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger. What up tonight, City? You're listening to N54 Radio. This is DJ Sparks bringing you a new hit show from Night City, Cyberpunk, a cyberpunk red live play podcast. Listen as a ragtag group slamming on the corpos. Survive the streets and try to keep from being flatlined. You can tune in on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. DJ Sparks out! Hello, this is Charlie Transmutation coming to you with another PSA announcement. No, Charlie. This is a commercial. What? Crap. Nobody told me that. What are you supposed to do in this thing anyway? Well, Charlie, I'm glad you asked. This is the part where we introduce our new homebrew 5e D&D podcast, The Fumbling Four and the Almighty Crit, where we explore the homebrew world of Altaris using homebrew rules and homebrew material from the Dungeon Master's Guild. Eh, sounds boring. I'm out of here. See you later, Charlie. We hope to have you guys come check us out soon. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts.